0: What kind of mythical powers does
2: a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that.
1: It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good.
2: Jaworski Lane, at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic
1: ability. Welcome. To the Road of Wire College Football Podcast. It is Wednesday, July 29th, Nick Whalen, joined as always by John McKechnie. John, we have a new sponsor this week, Sports Illustrated Brain Formula, which <laughs> is uh, something I, I thought this was a joke at first. It is very much not a joke. I'm currently on sports illustrated Sports Illustrated has launched an entire suite of wellness products led by Brain Formula. Uh, you can buy collagen enzymes, you can buy things for your joints, you can buy nitric oxide, you can buy pre-workout, you can buy post-workout, you can buy Sports Illustrated branded whey protein. What in the hell is Sports Illustrated doing?
2: So yeah, uh, Tired is is pivoting to video and ruining your website that way. Wired is launching a brand new suite of uh, brain and nerve tonics, like like Sports Illustrated has done here. So you know you might have poo pooed their ideas of mm-hmm. of completely laying off all these great writers uh, in in lieu of just having strange videos um, and and all their other misgivings. But now that they have, you know, something that I can get jacked and uh, get really focused in. I mean, th- this podcast is officially sponsored by mm-hmm. uh, the the brain brain formula, the brain power, uh, you know, my skull is uh, throbbing as we speak right now. And I think that's a, a sign that it's kicking in mm-hmm. very well and that there are no uh, bad side effects.
1: No, none. Never. I, I mix them in with my iced coffee that I'm drinking right now. I was actually reading an article last night about some girl who overdosed on iced coffee. <laughs> and she was like talking about all of her symptoms and like she had to get like her stomach pumped and everything. And I'm like, I think I do this like three times a week, to be honest.
2: She's all uh, of us and, in 2020.
1: Yeah, right. And there's a good chance that halfway through this podcast, I might reach that point as well. It's been a couple weeks since we've gotten together. Uh, we've both done some traveling. You went out east for a little bit. I went out west for a little bit. Fortunately, there really hasn't been a whole lot of news. You know, we came together to, to start putting together our our outline for today and it's a little bit bleak. There's not a whole lot going on in the college football world or in the sports world in general right now outside of how do we plan for, how do we account for coronavirus related, related to the season, changes to, you know, fall camp, things like that. And, you know, whereas the NFL, uh, I think it was Jason Gay on, on the Bill Simmons pod yesterday described the NFL as a battleship, uh, which I think was a, a great analogy um, you know, college football is not like that, where it's just one united entity instead of 32 teams and then 32 owners, uh, you know, having to kind of corral and come together. You're doing that same task, but with, you know, 120 plus schools and individual conferences that, that kind of try to govern themselves within the NCAA. And we've seen already over these last couple of weeks how differently certain teams, certain regions, certain conferences are, are handling what's, you know, becoming more and more of an issue because, you know, it's almost August right now. And, you know, we're supposed to be, what, four weeks away from the first real college football games of the season?
2: Yeah, we are. Yeah. Time, it's getting late early, basically. And, and uh, you know, the, the big thing that's been on football and college football side uh, since things all kind of got shut down in, in March was... Was time, and now we, like you said, we're a month away, and there's no real concrete plan from from college from the NCAA and you know the the conferences uh, within to to really get things moving, and and there have been various. You know, things that have popped up over the last couple of weeks since we talked last, uh, you know, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 uh, planning to go with it with a conference only approach. That's one way uh, of going about it. Potentially, you know, you kind of close the loop as far as your travel goes, uh, you know, limit the amount uh, that you're that you could potentially uh, be spreading things around. So that that's one uh, idea that's been floated around. I know that the ACC was meeting. Uh, today, Wednesday, to try to figure some of that out, and Brandon Marcello from from Twenty Four Seven was saying that maybe maybe the ACC will go to a ten game plus ten game conference schedule plus uh, one more game. Um, so that there's a lot of different ways of going about this, I mean, and we'll kind of unpack all of them. But right now, yeah, the fact the the, the fact of the matter is what was uh, formerly one of the bigger strengths, or, or you know better tools in the toolkit for college football time, uh, is getting shorter and shorter by the day now. And, and there need to start being real concrete answers because, um, you know, as the calendar moves into August, uh, it seems a little bit weird that college football just does not have a a public plan in place.
1: Right. I think the NFL has faced some of the same criticisms. Uh, the only league that's really been, I wouldn't say immune, but mostly immune to those type of criticisms is the nba because they you know their season was cut short in the middle and you know they were able to kind of use that uh roughly three and a half month period before everything resumed in orlando to get a plan in place executed and you know just this morning on wednesday the nba announced for the second time in a row that they went like 350 for 350 on negative covid tests and i you know i don't know how much you you can blame Football in general, everything has been changing so much over the last couple of weeks and and the last four or five months that my guess at least is that back in March, if you're a commissioner of a conference or you're the commissioner of the NFL, you know, they probably look back and and took a deep breath and said, you know, thank God this happened when it did. I mean, it, it honestly happened at almost the perfect time, we thought, for football. You know, the Super Bowl had just happened a month earlier and you know, they basically had, like you said, the most time of all the sports leagues to get ready. And you know, I think looking ahead, the thought, you know, not only for them, but for most people was that come August, maybe even come July, we would be collectively past this as as a United States people. And clearly that was wrong. And I I think where you can maybe criticize college football is they should have been getting a jump on this, maybe not in March, but in May and June and even earlier in July, when it started to become clear that the curve that we had heard so much about was not flattening
2: right yeah so so things going haywire on on that front on like the real uh serious stuff uh er, earlier this summer after you know like we thought uh the curve had started to get flattened out and then it you know spikes back up and you know it's tough uh it's been it's been you know very difficult to to kind of figure that out and then you know you look at uh, how some some other leagues are trying to figure it out, or or like baseball would would be the example, because they're the only one with with live bullets right now that that are actual uh, games going on, and we see it with with the Marlins, where MLB just kind of had to make it up as they went when a team ran into a, a mass uh, spread situation, and it it you know, I don't know if it was the most satisfactory, uh, plan. You, you would have hoped that, you know, coming into opening day for baseball, that, that things would have been a little bit more, uh, like, you know, if X happens, then we will use Y as a, as a response type of thing. And, uh, so it felt like the MLB just kind of came up with that. And then when you apply it to college football, I think that's going to be like the biggest thing, uh, this fall, uh, because, and it's sort of a synthesis of you know everything that we've been talking about with you know the bubble in the NBA, plus just the the kind of realities that are unique to college football in terms of just sheer roster size. Uh, you talk about and support staff size. Uh, you talk about uh, the just general environment uh, of a college campus of a college dorm, uh, that sort of thing. And then you, you know, you lop on that extra, um, layer where these guys aren't professional, they're not getting paid. So, um, you know, are they going, is there going to be a mass opt out and trying to get ahead of it and, and, you know, preventing, uh, a spread that way. And then, you know, what happens is kind of a, a dark thought, but like you know, if a guy were to opt out with the NFL, look look down on them in one way or another. You know, you, you'd hope not, obviously, but uh, you can't completely rule these these type of ridiculous things out. Um, so there, there's just so much uh, that college football needs to figure out. Like all these like big giant questions uh, with how they're going to move forward here. Um, so it's it's going to be a crazy uh, next month or so if they can really get this thing on track.
1: Yeah, I think I think you hit on all the major points that college football, you know, the way that this differs, I guess, from the NFL, where, you know, with the NFL, they have enough money and enough transparency with that money where guys can opt out. They're essentially offering, you know, a stipend if you want to opt out. There doesn't seem to be much of a stigma around it. I mean, when you have, what, six players from the Patriots earlier this week announcing that they're opting out, um, I, I think it's going to become more and more normalized. But like you said, in college football, I mean, there's so much competition, not that there isn't in the NFL, but there's so much competition at each position. You know, you're you're kind of on this limited schedule where at a lot of schools, you really only have two years to prove yourself. You know, maybe you redshirt, then you sit the next year. Um, you know, how many guys are really going to be willing to give that up, especially when an NFL future could be on the line? I think that's a really fair question. And then, like you said, the fact that these players aren't paid, fair or not, that's going to bring increased criticism from the same people that are always criticizing the NCAA uh, for not paying players, whether it's fair or not. So they're kind of under the gun in some ways that the NFL isn't. Can you walk me through a few of the, the early methods that we've seen from different conferences in terms of how they plan to handle this as of late July?
2: Yes. So, um, so the ACC, uh, like I, like I was kind of alluding to a, a minute ago, like they, they are meeting today. Um, there's a lot of, uh, smoke as, as far as like what actually is going to come out of that meeting there might be you know some sort of announcement as we're recording this but um you know there, there could be some sort of vote uh, from, the, you know, from the governing bodies within the ACC or the, the member um, programs, uh, trying, to, trying to reach an agreement on, on a 10-game uh, conference schedule that also um, would include one extra uh, non-conference game. So that, that's definitely an option. I know that the Big 12 has um, started to look at, and the NCAA cleared this uh, proposal, I think it was, it was Tuesday, um, about that last weekend in August being a potential uh, start date for some schools. I think that one way to, to kind of play this down the middle of the fairway um, would be to accept a truncated season of some sort. You know, 10 games, I think, would be acceptable. Um, you know, any games w- would be amazing, really, at, at this point. But, you know, if we can get 10 conference games b- between all the, all the, um, you know, the power five and the group of five, if they can pull it off as well, I think that would be huge. So you take that 10 game sample, but you stretch out the length of the season, you know, have it fill what, what normally would be, uh, a, a regular college football season. So upwards of like 15 weeks, uh, mm-hmm. to play those 10 games in case you run into those roadblocks, because unlike baseball, football has the advantage of just having to get it together once a week. Um, so, um, If they if they can get that rolling and they can get the, you know, any sort of Marlins-esque situation, calmed down and maybe, you know, you can take a week or two off uh, without it completely derailing the rest of the season. I think that that seems like the best way of just kind of mishmashing it together, but still in the end, you know, having something some sort of a of a, you know, recognizable college football season.
1: As an aside, how lucky is Major League Baseball that this happened to the Marlins and not the Yankees or the Dodgers <laughs> or the Red Sox? Right? Couldn't right? I mean, they're just like, yeah, yeah, it's the Marlins. I mean, they basically said that without saying it. I think it would have been significantly bigger news and significantly more devastating if it had been a team that the average fan could name one single player from.
2: Yeah, you, you got to figure that that Rob Manfred, you know, like once he gets away from the microphone, you know, like kind of like, yeah. You know, Gives a little fist pump to himself and, you know, is, is thankful right. that it, it's, it's the Marlins and, you know, like you said, not the Yankees or the Dodgers or, or anything like that. So, yeah, that couldn't have happened to a, a better team, I guess, as odd as it feels to say that. But, yeah, for, as far as baseball is concerned. But, yeah, if you're looking at it just from like a objective, like cruel numbers only type of type of thing, then yeah, like the Marlins aren't aren't a draw for that league and they, they don't have those those household names uh like you said. So uh you know that the equivalent of like a, a rutgers or something.
1: Uh but, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Big Ten would just move on. Wouldn't be that big of a deal. Um so andrea Adelson of ESPN uh had kind of a QA style article up um, earlier this week that more or less just address some of the bigger overarching questions that college football is facing now or is likely to face over the next few weeks. And I took down a couple of notes from that article. And and, and something that stood out is the difference that there's likely to be, wh- whether teams end up missing games because of a Marlins-like situation or not, uh, just the differences in scheduling um, you know, from conference to conference, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, for instance, have already said that they're not playing non-conference games, whereas the other Power Five conferences haven't ruled it out. We'll see. Uh, then you have something like Notre Dame, you know, obviously a team that doesn't have a conference. They'll. It sounds like just kind of leech on to the ACC for one season. But if you look at all this collectively, it's likely to mean that there are some teams that might finish the season playing eight or nine games if maybe they have one canceled and they're not able to reschedule it. Some teams could play as many as 12 or 13 games if everything goes smoothly, and they they maybe add another FCS opponent, which has been talked about. There are so, so many moving parts. Like when we get down to selecting the college football playoff, which as of now is is on for the same date that it was supposed to be on um, before all this uh, set in. Assuming that's the case, like how is the committee going to to weigh some of these situations where you might have an undefeated Ohio State at nine and zero versus a you know, a team like let's say Texas goes eleven and one, and you know maybe they start the season nine and zero, but they play those three extra games and they end up losing one of them.
2: Yeah, well, luckily the uh, the playoff committee has never really set hard precedents, and they, they can <laughs> always always kind of you know work, work things around. And I, I and I, I say that jokingly, but I think at the same time um, it's important to you know look at. At, at a case-by-case basis on a year-by-year basis. No one season is the same as the other ones. And, you know, that that is, that is true of the playoff era to this point from 2014 to 2019. It's definitely um, true right now. So I think that, you know, the committee will be equipped to um, handle this. I think that they are going to have to start thinking of those various possibilities that could come out, especially if there's an unevenness as far as um, the, the resumes and, and the amount of games played, uh, because, you know, like you said, there's going to be pressure if, you know, a Texas put puts together what would normally be a, a lock for a playoff season or at least, you know, something to where they're they're in that next two, uh, type of thing. But, um, a, a another program, uh, that has an undefeated r- resume, but less games, I, I think maybe instead of Ohio state, maybe use, cause I think the committee tends to be, and maybe we'll get some f- flack for that, for saying that the co- committee has been kind to Ohio state. Um, but, um, it, what if it was like a, a Baylor or a TCU or somebody like that, and, and there was a, a more blue blood team uh, that had lost a game, but you know, you're know you also comparing them against an undefeated Baylor or a TCU or, or someone who doesn't kind of draw that, that same uh, amount of water that, that some of those other blue bloods do. I think that's where the true test of, of where the committee's priorities is going to lie, where um, an undefeated non-blue blood team's resume versus a a, um a bigger team with with one loss
1: i think maybe there's some strategy that could be involved here like let's say wisconsin you know doesn't feel great about having to play michigan on september 26th you know maybe you just fake some covid cases get out of that game entirely and and hope that you you know if if you feel like you're going to take a loss you know maybe just kind of take the uh you know the neutral forfeit and then move on from there and hope it hopefully it helps your case down the road
2: I I would never put chicanery past a college football program um right. and, and <laughs> as wild as it sounds you know like may, maybe they like if there's an edge to be had there's college football coaches uh you know putting their their top men on finding a way to to find it and right. get the most out of it so so yeah so yeah the the boys uh came down with it this, this week it you know just happens to be that we're playing michigan and uh yeah. you know our quarterback Player got hurt safety last is week. our priority <laughs> yeah yeah and then, then just have that as like the yeah. the the refrain to like every question that that they answer
1: i i think there are a lot of college coaches do that like Mississippi state let's say they you know they have a ton of cases and they just can't play the season and then you know we fast forward to december and and michael leach is up there hey we haven't lost we're we're undefeated you know, I, I think we deserve a spot in this we wanted to play uh you know we've been trying to play
2: we've been just been a little sick
1: yeah it's gonna be so strange and honestly I mean it this goes without saying at this point it's not just for college football but this was going to be, I think, a really fun college football season. All all seasons are fun, but you know, we had a, a lot of storylines, even despite losing so many big name players uh, to the NFL draft this past year, especially at the quarterback position. There's so much talent returning, and I think it was going to be maybe even more of an even playing field at the top this year. And it, it and I, I just feel like there's going there's no way that we're going to get a normal season out of this. And I, I wouldn't go as far as to say there's going to be. A major asterisk it's just way too easy or way too early i should say um to know how, how everything is going to play out but uh you know for for trevor lawrence to have to play you know likely his final college season under conditions like this and you know th- there, there's just so much building to this year that you know no matter what happens the main storyline is going to be how teams are accounting for this how how coronavirus is affecting the season no matter what happens on the field
2: right ex- exactly and and um You know, I I think you bring up Trevor Lawrence, and I think that's a good jumping-off point to you know tie it back to the potential of some bigger-name players in in the college football realm uh, deciding to opt out. I think that there there's some inclination that there's going to be, and I I don't really know which way this is this all is going to go as far as the opt-outs are concerned. I think there will be a fair bit, but I think um, it it will. how do I put this um, as far as like the the top like f- there are like 10 or 12 guys that I think could safely opt out this season and still go in the first round. And I think that outside of that, um, just assuming that that you're lumped into that group um fair or not, I think it might not be completely accurate or based in reality. You might have, you know, some guy uh, thinking that, that he's done enough to where he doesn't need to play uh, in this 2020 season and, and, you know, trust that he'll still get drafted the same way. Like, I, I just don't know um, that, that, that that is the case. And you wonder, you know, as a kind of add on to that, does it, you know, make some other guys question like, you know, do, do I feel uncomfortable playing this season? maybe I do, but like, I also feel a little bit pinched, a little bit trapped, a little bit where, uh, you know, can I afford to, to miss this season? Because, you know, like you said, there is so much competition, um, on these college football rosters, there's so much turnover. Um, and, and, you know, you could be, you're like fighting for your spot every single day. So like uh, opting out, you know, might. my, you know, it's going to be a tough, tough decision for a lot of these guys to make. And I think, again, really like outside of like your Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Penny Sewell, uh, Micah Parsons, Jamar Chase, like, and, you know, probably like Jack Cohn, yeah, of course, um, and, and a handful of guys like they they can't just bank on just having this season unfold without them being a part of it and still uh, going in the draft. And, you know, for for better or for worse, I think it is just kind of the, the reality right now.
1: Uh, is it fair to assume that if a player does opt out, they will just take a red shirt? And you're not going to lose a year of eligibility, right? Yeah,
2: I think the what I've seen, I know that um, Ravon Bonner, uh, the running back for Illinois, um, he opted out of the season on Tuesday and in, in the article, I think it was from the Chicago Tribune. It was saying that Illinois will honor honor his scholarship uh, for this year, um, and and it won't burn a year of eligibility. Um, okay. So I think that yeah, guys that guys that um, decide to opt out this year like won't be like penalized as far as you know the uh, the mm-hmm. scholarship stuff is concerned.
1: If a player opts out, a team should be able to scoop up an alumni. Who's available to replace them? Like, if Kansas's quarterback opts out, you could just go grab Todd Reesing, bring him back as a replacement for the year.
2: I like where your head's at a lot, and you know what? Like, modern problems require modern solutions, and and mm. that's one that people haven't brought up enough lately. Um, you know, I've, I think that uh, if we see a rash of injuries to Michigan's quarterback room, I would love to see Jim Harbaugh player coach. Like that, that? That's the kind I of. Thought stuff you were going to we say do. So I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> I mean, that, that was next on my list, actually. But yeah, um, yeah I, when it comes down to it, we're going to need to get creative to to get this season over the goal line. And, and maybe part of that is, you know, revamping that 2007 Orange Bowl Kansas team.
1: I would not be against it. I, that it, that season gets like stranger and stranger the farther away that we get from it. Like trying to explain to like a 16 year old college football fan now that. Kansas was like really, really good for one year, and then immediately went back to being Kansas. It, it makes no sense.
2: No, and like I, I believe, like South Florida was ranked number like oh, yeah. number two at one point. I think that there was like a rotating door at, at number one, basically for for the bulk of that season. Yeah, that that season, I, I know that SB Nation and, and Banner Society, R I P, did some like amazing, amazing stuff. Lo- looking at the at just the sheer wildness that that
1: was the 2007 season but yeah uh, good times good good to reflect on those you brought up Jim Harbaugh and I think something else that was interesting from that ESPN piece that I mentioned is uh, if a coach tests positive a school is able to replace him temporarily with a graduate assistant or an analyst so this this isn't all that different you know we've seen coaches have to take a medical leave of absence or you know a a personal leave before and you know the, the next man kind of steps up, but, you know, you think most about this, how, how it affects players and you don't really think about the coaches all that much. And, and in reality, those are the guys, you know, especially when you consider the age of a lot of college coaches, those are the guys who are by far the most vulnerable to, you know, real physical damage from this thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're the ones that, you know, fit, like fit in with, with the, you know, the at risk group, you know, that a lot of them are, are over 60. I mean, the most famous college football coach is, is Nick Saban, who, um, you know, is, in his 60s right now so um yeah this this is going to be um very unprecedented Uh, i think i'm the first person to use that uh word since march but yeah it's unprecedented what's what's going on and and uh how how these schools are going to manage it, as far as like like those replacement coaches are concerned? Because yeah, what what if you know we start to see a small outbreak on, on a team? You know these coaches are probably going to you know have gotten some exposure to that. So so uh, finding a way to safely uh, carry on and still like have a full coaching staff is going to be um, a, a major major challenge.
1: Right. I mean, you mentioned Saban, Mark Mangino, sixty three years old.
2: Oh, he's a spring chicken still.
1: That's actually younger than I would have thought. Yeah,
2: yeah, I, I would have put that a, a a fair bit older. But um, man, yeah. So that there are yeah, there there's a lot to to unpack there, and I really don't know what all is going to happen with it. And you know, are is some school going to kind of like unearth their joe brady or something that that right. they had not given a ton of responsibilities to and like well i have this idea and then you know it goes gangbusters or something so who mm-hmm. you know who knows what what kind of uh coaching gems are going to be unearthed from this as well
1: perhaps the most shocking thing uh from that article is i, I did not realize this texas is apparently going to allow its stadium to be 50 percent full with fans how is that how is that allowed my guess is that
2: this has to be some sort of uh, letting down slowly of the fans yeah. and, the, and the season ticket holders where they don't want to outright say, yeah, there, there's no way that we're filling up Daryl K. Royal Stadium this year to, to full capacity. So or at all. So we'll, we'll just kind of let them down slowly. We'll say it's only half capacity um, and then, you know, oh, only You know, 10,000 people can can uh, can go to a game and it has to be socially distanced. You have to be wearing masks. We're canceling all tailgates like all of those things are are just kind of like the next dominoes to fall. But I I think in the end, I will be shocked if if there's more than just the people on the sidelines at a at a Texas football game or really any college football uh, game this season.
1: Yeah. And even that, you know, you you look at a college football telecast or if you're at a game, and you look at the sideline. There's it seems like there's 500 people on each side. You know, part of it is huge rosters in college football. But you have a ton of coaches, a ton of support staff, Matthew McConaughey, whatever celebrities are in town. I I don't think that's going to happen. I I think they're probably going to at least some states will be, you know, essential personnel only kind of like what we're seeing with the NBA where each team was basically given, I think like 32 or 35 spots in the traveling party initially. And, you know, that meant leaving some trainers behind some, some of the, you know, further down the bench assistants had to be left behind. And, you know, with football being more of a physical injury prone sport, I, I don't think you want to limit that too much, but I think a lot of the like non-essential staff, um, is probably not going to be on the sideline. And, you know, it's, it's, going to vary from state to state. It certainly sounds, um, but you know if, if there can be any amount of fans at the stadium i think that's good you know what what baseball and basketball these last couple of weeks have shown us at least me personally is that having no fans is at least in my opinion a little more jarring than i thought it would be yeah uh, i don't really mind it that much for baseball but i mean the nba is doing all it can i, I don't know what else they would do but those games look like summer league games. And I I don't really know how that's going to change as this whole thing progresses.
2: Right. And, and, you know, so much of college football is like the pageantry and the, and the game day experience. Mm And, and obviously like, you know, those pale in comparison to, to what's really Mm -hmm. important right now, but it's going to be crazy because college football stadiums are like the biggest, you know, sporting arenas that, that there are basically. So to see, you know, the the shoe in Columbus, 100,000 plus empty seats or, or in Happy Valley or, or you know, Bryant Denny uh, down in Tuscaloosa being, you know, a totally empty game for for Bama versus. Well, I guess they're, they're playing at LSU this year. But yeah, like, f- for instance, like the can you ma- imagine like a, a just silent Death Valley for for Bama right. LSU this year? Like, I it's going the, to be surreal.
1: I imagine the Auburn's going to win the football game situation, but there's just it's just silent. Other than that, like I. Some of the the reason that we like college football and sports in general is it's so tied to the atmosphere that the fans bring, and without that, it's it's just impossible to replicate. And there's nobody to blame. You know, it's not it's not college football's fault. It's not ESPN's fault. Like, it, there's just no really, there's no way to replicate. I think if anything, or if nothing else, it's you know the the early stages of of sports without fans on TV have kind of proven how much we've mastered the sports on tv product how good it really is right now like there are very few improvements i think that that we could make and when you take when you take away one of the main components of the game um you know you really realize i guess how integral it is and and how you know how how well we've been treated i guess as sports fans watching on tv these last few years
2: yeah exactly yeah the the like you said like it, college football game day experience is u- so unique like so unlike anything else like you can you can look at you know a major league baseball game that a regular season game that's being played right now like like for instance um the Astros and Dodgers la- last night or the series that, that's going on right now. There, you know, there, there's some electricity there that, that you can feel, um, even with no fans being there. But, um, yeah, when it, when it comes to to college football, like the, like the pageantry and just the the environment that you have on, on a week to week basis and how different it can be, um, having that removed from the equation where it, I think it is a bigger part of its sport, um, that, than really any other, um, yeah, it's it's gonna definitely affect the the game watching uh, experience, if nothing else.
1: All right, man, you got anything else?
2: <sighs> uh, let's see. Um, let's see. Uh, Miami is, is rolling along on the on the recruiting trail a little bit. They just got. Um, a a big recruit, uh, James Williams, I believe his name is, uh, one of the bigger, uh, defensive backs, um, in this, uh, upcoming class, uh, Ed Reed, I think did his handiwork. So we're starting to see a bit of the Ed Reed effect. Uh, down in Miami. So I'm excited to see what what he can, you know, continue to do as far as, uh, you know, may, you know, winning the, the state of Miami as it was. But I, I think as far as like other news from around the the college football circles, um, like you said, it's been relatively quiet. We're all just watching and waiting to see um, if and when we, c- we can uh, get games going.
1: Yeah, you said it. I mean, I'm glad we had this opportunity to kind of survey the landscape and, and have this conversation and unfortunately it's one that I think we'll probably have to revisit periodically over these next few weeks. But, uh, you know, we'll be back maybe next week if we have news or maybe the week after that. But I mean, eventually these teams are going to have to start having real camp and real news will emerge and we'll kind of have to operate as if things are, are going to happen, whether they ultimately will or not.
2: Yes. So I'm, I'm certainly doing that. So the, all the articles and stuff are up on the website, the rankings are continuing to be, um, tweaked and updated. So, um, we are we here at RotoWire are operating with, uh, under the assumption of of a season uh, getting off the ground here. So uh, if and when it does happen, we'll be ready to to hit the ground running.
1: All right, good stuff, man. I know you have to hop on the radio, so we'll call it here. And uh, like I said, we'll be back next week. Appreciate you and uh, all the
2: listeners out there. Happy birthday to to our uh, brave host Nick Whalen. So thank you and and uh, happy birthday, sir.
1: All right, the big 2-8 Fred Taylor year, baby. Let's go.